I'm talking to Pep, uh, Pep Gomez, founder of Rebi. Thanks for making some time. How are you? Thank you very much for inviting me. Very well, pretty well. Thank you uh, very much. You've just spoke. In fact, you were the, the first keynote, more or less. Or were you the second keynote? Either this morning, Eddie, you started something. But nonetheless, very early on the main stage. Yes. Did you enjoy it? I like it a lot. I think the uh, conference is great. I think people organizing it is amazing. Um, and I enjoyed pretty much uh, talking about openly about, you know, the way I see the market and the way I see venture capital in general. So it's a great, exciting times, I think, to talk now. So look, before we return to those topics, let's set some context. Who are Revy? So Revy, we are a manufacturer and distributor of public sharing electric vehicles. Short, you know, in short form, I would say we're something like Lime or Bird or Tier for Europe uh, or for Southern Europe. Uh, but profitable. So essentially, we have a very focus on profitability since day one. Um, we're very efficient in capital. Uh, we're kind of an underdog profile, uh, very discreet, um, focused primarily in Southern Europe. Um, and we, you know, our biggest main metric was always, you know, how to build a business in the micro mobility business, but in a profitable, sustainable way. So that's, that's what we do. Out of interest, any particular reason Southern Europe? Is that just because you're Spanish, you're based in Spain, or is, or is it the, Well, the, the actually, culturally... I, I live in London. So, okay. you know, for me, for me, you know, I did Southern Europe because it's the countries where there's more tourism or traditionally, right? When there was no COVID, there's more tourism and, um, you know, more, more sunny days. And then when there's, when it's raining, you know, people don't use the scooters and they use mopeds and they use bikes. So I just said, what are the best countries to launch something like this? And I, I thought, you know, Southern Europe makes, makes a lot of sense. And how have you managed to to spread the organization? I, I think during your talk, you you talked about the fact that you work with various different um, cities and have kind of worked yeah, closely yeah, with them. Yeah. To make so, sure so our two biggest, work. yeah, our two biggest teams are on the one side engineering. So we do a lot of you know hardware development and IoT development and software development, uh, payment. So everything is pretty much in house. We don't outsource anything or any key. We, we don't outsource any key technology. And then on the other side, we have a team that in, it's also in house and it's, it's a, it's a legal team. It's a public administration, public law team. Um, it's not that much focused on as a politicians or lobbies or things like that. It's more like, you know, technical regulation and lawyers focus on the technical stuff of the, of the, of the business. Um, and that, those are the two main important teams we, we have in the organization. So that's how we are spread. And of course, there's some general OPEX and other stuff, but, but the main things is, is, is the, or the main two teams are these two teams. So how difficult was the pandemic for you? Because I imagine it, it yeah, would have I mean, been, it was, would have it been was, very, it was very terrible. Hard. It was terrible. I mean, we went from making one million a month in revenue to zero. So, um, and we had to reinvent ourselves and to focus for the months of the pandemic or the year of the pandemic because we couldn't operate because mobility was forbidden in many cities, um, these kind of services. So what we did is we, we put out a focus on how to create a product to essentially use the, the technology that we built in-house um, and to license it and to franchise it to, to potential customers and B2B customers and so on. So we, we spent a lot of time doing that. Um, we spent a lot of time building that model and you know it just turned out that it was it's today the majority of our business. So it's, it's, uh, it's, I mean, I, we have to see, right? After the pandemic, it's still we are seeing now an increase in rights. And that was very recent, but until very recently, still was very, you know, less trips than normal, less, you know, in, in, in general, we're like, you know, you know, still effects of the pandemic, right? And it's just slowly, slowly ramping up, but it takes time. So, so you've just, 
had a very successful period where you've, is it that you've floated or you've sold the business? Make sure we I sold the business, right. yeah. We sold it, uh, yeah, we, we announced it yesterday. And that was $100 million? Dollars, yes. How do you think you've been able to go through that journey from obviously the, the difficulty during the pandemic to this yeah. point where you've had that successful sale? Well, I think, you know, despite the pandemic, we generated first year we made, uh, I think it was f- 4 million revenue. That was the first year. The second year we made 8 million and that was, so nine, 2019 we did 4 million, um, 2020 we did $8 million revenue despite the pandemic. Uh, mostly in B2B. Um, and 2021, we did 15 million. So we actually been doubling revenue despite COVID. So I think the thesis or the, the investment thesis for, for the acquirer in part is, you know, these guys, despite the pandemic and despite they went to zero, they reinvented themselves. So first of all, the, the team is something they like. And second of all, when talking about, you know, uh, the, the business model in general, they say, oh, they made all of this revenue despite the pandemic, despite our clients have to find external funds to, to buy CapEx and to, so, so there's, there's a lot of things inside the business and the way we built it, which is very challenging. And to be honest, you know, it's, it's been, it's not perfect, but you know, I think, uh, so far so good. And if, if I would say, you know, if we compare ourselves with our, what, what you would call competitors, which are these large, massive companies with, you know, billion dollar valuation, we, you know, I wouldn't say that I felt scared because to be honest with Fever, which was my previous company, it was, it was the same many companies raising money and then shutting down. Uh, but you know, for a long period, I was under a lot of stress specifically for fundraising because people wouldn't see you as a winner because they would say there's a global market winner takes all. And even the few that said it's not a global market, there's a space for many players, which is the pitch of all the tiers and the voice and the dots and all of that, you know, the reality is they would say this, but at the same time, they would say, no, I want to be the winners of Europe and there's only space for two or three, which again, right? I, I fundamentally disagree. So you mentioned there about fever. Yeah. What were the lessons from that first experience that you've carried through to this that you think have, have stood you in good stead? Because specifically yeah, on, on yeah. stage, you talked about being efficient and being scrappy. Yeah, I would say, you know, it's a, of course, you know, fever is a global winner. So it's a, it's a different kind of business. Even the, the, the way that we did it is a, it's a different way because in Fever we really didn't have any competition and and it was an open market. There's no barriers to entry, so I think it's a different business model. But you know what I would say is in this business there is business there is a barriers to entry, which is regulation. So you know you have to be efficient, you have to be profitable because you know the concessions of of, of public administration come and go and they have an expiry date. So if you really don't focus on you know doing that since day one, I don't really see how come you are creating a brand? Because I don't think users care about building a brand uh, around that. So, I mean, I don't think users care to use Bird or Lime. I just, they, they just use the one that has the most scooters or the most mobiles, the most convenient. I don't think they really care about the brand. So for me, it's a, it's a way different model, but, but yes, talking about efficiency in capital and so on, you know, I, you know, I think that one of the lessons that we learned is, you know, um, you know, I, I don't care what others do. I was very focused on building local, being a local champion and local winner first. And I think that's the right strategy probably going forward. I, I think that's, you know, it, it worked for us so far. Let's see. It's interesting you say, you, you know, you don't care what others do because during the pandemic, I heard a lot of business leaders, technology leaders talking about 
waiting to see what their peer group did in terms of yeah. how to respond to the pandemic. Yeah. I, I suppose it must have been tempting to look at some of those competitors to see how everyone else was responding when you suddenly saw that revenues were dropping and that, that, that it was Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, for us, it was, you know, since the beginning when we saw this big drop, we had, I mean, not much we could do. We just stopped operations. We did like this, one of these, uh, you know, government programs for, uh, you know, the covers part of the salaries for the employees and everything on hold and, you know, the comp- everything was suspended. Um, but just that, you know, instead of just focusing on doing that and wait and see, we said, let's, what can we do in all these months? What, is there anything we can do that makes the business stronger? Assuming this will never be the same, assuming maybe this, you know, everything will change. So I think somehow for us, it's very bad for me to say that, but for us, it was an opportunity, the pandemic, because everything is slowed down, the market is slowed down, everything, and it gave us time to catch up, you know, and continue winning the winners. And if there was any chance that one of these players, just because they raised so much money, they could go and just kill you just as a collateral effect, which by the way, again, I, I think that would never have happened. But if that would have happened, that would have been in a market where there was no COVID, because after COVID, you know, I think that, you know, essentially, you know, everything put the reset button to everyone. It's like when in Formula One, right? They do. I didn't know this. I just learned very recently about Formula One because our acquirer owns, um, you know, Kimoa, which is this company with Fernando Alonso. And I, I didn't know, I never watched Formula One before, but I didn't know But when somebody crashes, right? The, the rest of the bottom, essentially everybody um, gets a very little difference from each other and then they just come back. So here's the same, right? I think the race thing is very a good analogy for what happened here. So last quick question that I, I want to ask, and I suppose this is um, a bit of advice, hints and tips for anyone else listening. You, you go to a conference like this and invariably there are lots of founders, early stage startups they're looking to raise. And then you get kind of VCs walking around and they're wondering how to engage with them. I know that you've spoken about the fact that the, the market you're operating in now is heavily regulated. There are, there are different barriers there. But just as kind of some general ways of looking at fundraising, ways of engaging with VCs that you think are, hmm. are worth bearing in mind. What would you say to people at the start of that journey? I think there are two things. One thing is, you know, preparation. I think that's very important. People overestimate, sorry, underestimate uh, essentially how important is it to prepare for the pitch because, and to make sure that, you know, what you have makes sense and so on. I think that's one of the lessons that I learned. And, you know, it was the same in Fever, you know, the moment we were not, we were talking to any fans, not raising money, and we changed a few things on the pitch, and then we started to raise money. So I think that's one important thing, preparation on the pitch, on the materials, everything. And the second thing would be, it's a, it's a numbers game, right? So once you have a good thing, and you think it's a good thing, it's not like everybody's telling you no for the same reason, but just in general, you're getting random no's. Essentially, people say no because, it, no because of this, no because of that, no because of this. Essentially, to me, is where the numbers game comes in, because I think most of these no's are bullshit and it's just like mm-hmm. they don't want to do it so essentially you know if you talk to 100 fans probably you will get funded so it's you know once you get random snows and they're not consistent among them I think you're in a good track I think the problem is when you they're telling you no and all of them is for the same reason probably they are right right but if they're telling you no for random reasons probably you are right and they just don't want to do the deal because they don't like it it's a bad moment it's a bad market something that you don't it's not really about you it's about them right so that that's that's my impression well, look, thank you for your time. If, if I'm traveling in Southern Europe, because, you know, holidays are back on the cars, where am I going to see Rebi? Um, we're in 18 cities. We're majority in Italy, but uh, we're in 18 cities. Um, any places like Sevilla, uh, Barcelona, uh, Zaragoza, um, you know, in, in Napoli, Lecce, Bergamo. We just won Florence very recently, also Canary Islands. So we're pretty much... Um, when I say one, I mean we want a license and we want a contract in that city. So, so all of these cities, and I hope many more as well. 
Well, look, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for inviting me.